Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. You're listening to the Wijha Initiative podcast. These podcast episodes are recordings of our past events that we hold in person on a weekly basis. We hope that by listening to the podcast, you'll be inspired to join us at an event. To keep up with our work, please follow us on Instagram. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen wa salatu wa salamu ala Sayyidina Muhammadin wa alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Allahumma alimna ma yanfa'una wa anfa'na bima alamtana wa zidna ilman wa amalan ya Rabbil Alameen amma ba'd. The name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that we'll be discussing today is Al-Hakam. Al-Hakam. And this we could translate as the judge. The one who will judge. The one who decides. Okay. To start off, when you hear this name, Allah is Al-Hakam. He is the judge, the one who will judge everyone. Does that name invoke fear? Hope? What kind of, what, what do you feel when you hear that name? Anyone? Fear. Fear, okay. Anyone else fear? Why? What's the fear? I mean, you would be judged on the day of the goods of the bad that you have done. Right. So there's fear that maybe we didn't do enough. Maybe, maybe the good that we did is not accepted. Maybe we wronged people and we didn't ask their forgiveness. Right, definitely. Does anyone else have anything to contribute to that? Yeah, go ahead. Beautiful, beautiful. So, you're saying that there's peace and comfort when you know that Allah will judge and that He does decide affairs. Because, I think you mentioned it. Why? Because He is just. So, what you did there and what we need to get in the habit of doing is pairing the names of Allah. To not look at only one name. And I think I've been saying this multiple times. You have to look at the names together. Allah is the judge. Well, is that... That could be a source of fear, and I think definitely it can be a source of fear. Does, is it a source of hope? Is it a source of peace and comfort? It can be when you couple it with the other attributes and names of Allah. So, the fact that Allah is the judge, but we know... In the dunya, in this world, what do you fear when you have to stand in front of a judge? Let's be real. Jail. Jail, of course. <laughs> Why would you go to jail? If you didn't do anything. Oh, don't ask him. Right. Why would you go to jail even if you didn't do anything? Because our system finds people unfairly. Right, because there can be injustice. 
There can be bias. There can be prejudice. And so you have to pray that you get a judge that's fair. But you might not. You might get a judge that's unfair, that's racist. These are realities we deal with. But with Allah, knowing that He is Al-Adl, for example, the All-Just, being the judge and being the All-Just reassures us. Because it is Allah who will judge us and nobody else. Because other people, like we said, in this dunya, other people can be unfair. You know, there's actually really, just a side topic here, there's actually been some work done in the hope of removing bias to get AI to pass judgments. To get AI, artificial intelligence, to pass judgments. But there's a problem with that. With which data do you train the AI? What happens when the data you train it with is biased? What happens when the data picks up on correlations that are not relevant and then uses that to pass judgment? The majority of the people in this area tend to be guilty, so that's a correlation we found. Let's just label this guy must be guilty too, for example. Like that's not a correlation you want them to, the data to take into consideration. And so then there was, there was like a survey done, like, what would you rather have? Would you rather have a human being judge you, or would you have a machine judge you? Ooh, let's go see, let's see, quickly. This is called pseudoscience right here. Let's see, how many people would rather have a machine judge them? Nobody? Nobody's like, okay, oh, we got some people with machines. Okay, okay. It's like, which machines, which data? Gotta be careful. Well, how many things are you going to train it to, to avoid? Because it's, it's a prediction, right? It's a prediction. Looking at certain things about you, looking at people in the past who were guilty, to predict, will you re-offend? You, are you guilty? Particularly in re-offending, they use this a lot, to make predictions. Is this person likely to re-offend? That's just really suspect. Anyways, how many people would rather human being? Even with all the potential for bias. Why? They have a heart. They have a brain. Right. They have a heart. It's so interesting, isn't it? That you'd rather a human being make that moral decision and not a machine? Anyways, one question before I start. What would happen? What would be your thoughts? What would be your thoughts? How would you feel? If the person, and I want you to think about somebody in your life that you feel wishes well for you, like the most in the world. That individual who in your life you believe the most is your best well-wisher. What if they were in charge of deciding on the Day of Judgment whether you go to Jannah or Jahannam? Would you be confident? Would you feel hopeful? It might be a parent, right? It might be a mother, it might be a friend, it might be a spouse. Whoever you believe wishes best for you. If that person was in charge, how would you feel? Right, right. But like, 
we're, we're kind of hypothetically saying that individual is not in that scenario because they're the judge. Do you know what I mean? So they're not actually part of the running around people. They're like the ones who are going to, the person's going to judge you. Confident a little bit? Right? And so what to say about the fact that Allah will judge us? There's great room and great reason for hope. Great reason for hope. Because there's a hadith. There's a hadith. And again, to think of all the names of Allah. Many of us will have heard this hadith. This hadith is in Sahih Muslim. It's narrated that the Prophet ﷺ was standing with some companions on a battlefield. And it seems as though a battle had just happened. And there's a woman running around looking for something. And they're all, the Sahaba and the Prophet ﷺ are watching, like, what's she looking for? Eventually she finds this little child that she'd been searching for. She picks up the child, holds it really tightly. You know like when you find someone, imagine like an airport, and you lose someone, and you have to you find them, and you just like... And that's kind of what it was. She grabbed the child, held it tight. And the hadith says she began to feed the child. And so that goes to show the age of the child. Like the child was really young and dependent on the mother. The Prophet ﷺ took the occasion to teach. So he turns to the companions. And some of the scholars have like deduced teaching methods from this hadith. That he used like a visual aid in a sense. He used a practical live example to teach a lesson. So he turned to the companions and he said, Do you think this woman, if given the choice, do you think she would take that child you just saw her chasing and, and searching for, do you think she'd pick up that child and throw it in a fire for it to burn? And they were like, no, never. If she had the choice, she would never do that. And then he said, I swear by Allah, Allah is more merciful with his servants than this mother is with her child. That is the Allah who will judge you and who will judge me on the day of judgment. So there's great room and great reason for hope. But let's talk about the different ways we can think about this name. The core meaning of this name is to judge and to make decisions. Because that's what a judge does, is it decides. Amongst multiple options, the judge decides it's, it's this way, or this is the right way to go. That applies in this dunya and in the next life. Allah decides He is Al-Hakam in this world. In this world, I want to explore in two ways. One, Allah decides what will happen in this life. Whatever happens around us, we all know happens with the permission of Allah. It happens with Allah's command. Everyone knows that. This obviously leads to a famous issue, which is the issue of free will. If Allah does all of this and He's in control of all of this and He knows all of this and He decides all of this, the question arises, then to what end are our actions? What's the point? Now, 
there's a really technical way to approach this, which I don't want to take in this, in this talk. Um, the point is, and here's where we, appro we approach it in a much more practical way. Because we often, as human beings, naturally, we want to know what has Allah decided for me? What's written for me? Do you know what I mean? Like, we kind of want to know. And we want to know if that's the right decision with Allah. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I've had people come to me trying to decide whether or not to get married to him or her. And they're just like looking for like some, some definitive sign, like this is the one. I'm like, there isn't really that. You're not going to get that. They start looking for like colors in their dreams. No, because they really believe like Allah is going to tell me what to do in my dream. You're not a prophet. You're not a prophet. You have to make that decision. And some people like, you know, some people tell me, they're like, I wish there was a way to just take out the guesswork. But you have to understand. If you understand that this life is a test, you must understand there has to be room for uncertainty. Otherwise, where's the test? If you have all the answers, where's the test? If you know that she's the right one and he's the right one and you know this, where's the trust in Allah? You won't trust Allah because there's no need to trust. You know the answer. Trust comes about when you don't have the answer. When there is some uncertainty and you still need to make the decision. What gives you the confidence to go forward is trust in Allah as we were saying. Tawakkul in Allah. Oh Allah, I've done the best I can from my side. I have Sherlock Holmes did out to the max to figure out if this is the right person. All the investigations that people do. Like a better job than the FBI online trying to find some information about people, right? Like the way they can pull stuff up. Do we got any experts on this side? It tends to be more on experts. Give them a name and boom, we'll give you a report in an hour. Yeah, yeah, like, people got, there's people like that, we know. Maybe on this side too, but I'm not sure, like, to what extent. I don't know how much y'all do that, but the point is, there will always be uncertainty in life. What Allah has decided and what He knows, you and I are not privy to. It's just a simple fact that we have to come to terms with. You can be as stubborn as you want, but you know, but I need to know. But there's no way to know. Come to terms with it. Own your decision and make that decision. And if you trust in Allah, whatever the outcome, you will know that inshallah there's khair in it. That's what istikhara is. Istikhara is to say, Oh Allah, I seek goodness in whatever decision I'm going to make. That's what it is. It's not a password to the vaults of Allah's decisions to figure out, is this good for me or not? That's not how it works. You are not a prophet. You don't have access to the unseen in that way. Do you understand? Because people really have some false notions. Now, when we don't know what Allah's decided, for now, for the future, when we don't know, what are you left to do then? Focus on your actions. Because that's what you have control over. You have control over your actions. You don't have control over the results. You can take a page out of the 
out of the book of the Stoics here. Delineate what you can control and what you don't control. Leave that which you don't control to the one who controls it, subhanahu wa ta'ala. Focus on what you have control over and exert yourself. It is not a valid excuse to say, well, if it's written, there's no point. Or I can do something wrong and say, it was written. This is hypocritical. This is hypocritical. I don't believe there are anybody who truly believe, truly believe, and I'm using that in a very specific sense, truly believe that they don't have free will. I don't believe that. I don't care if it's a philosopher, PhD, what they think. Because if you truly believe it, live it out. That to me is a test. Show me a life that you live according to that philosophy. Live it out. And they can't. Why? Because they're going to stand up and decide, do I want to go home or do I want... Why are you making a decision? Why are you acting like you have choices? If you really believe you don't have choices, just do what was written. But you're going to stand there and go, hmm, do I want chocolate or vanilla? If you don't have free will, why are you acting like you do? Just live it out like you don't have. But they won't live it out. That's the hypocrisy you will see in the philosophy departments. You will see people sitting in classrooms, and that's the difference between in our deen. Deen is not about philosophy. It's not about sitting here and sounding intellectual. It's about living and becoming a better human being, really at its core. In the philosophy departments, dude, I've seen people pulling out brilliant ethical theories. You sit there, you look at them like, yo, you think like this is the pinnacle of ethics right here, this dude. And you walk outside and you hear the stories of these people and you go, where's all your ethical theories now? None of that, none of that. You understand my point here? Live it out. If you believe in something, live it out. So, we can act, and people approach me with this question quite often, Shaykh, tell me about you know, free will, like do we have free will? I'm like, did you decide to approach me or not? If you decided, it means like you had a free will choice to approach me or not. You got your answer right there. Let's be real here. We can get involved in intellectual gymnastics, and I, and I, and I warn you of that. Especially on this side. I warn you of intellectual gymnastics that take you nowhere. But they make you think like you're thinking about something meaningful. People will sit there and debate over, you know, infinities, sets that are bigger than others. SubhanAllah. Never seen infinity once in your life and you want to sit there and debate over sets of infinity. Come on. That's where you tell people touch some grass, dude. Literally, touch some grass. No, for real, it's, uh, it's very ajib. The human being can really get up in their mind and live in their heads. And you don't want to be that person. Because that's not religion. Religion is not living up in your head. Religion is to live with people. Live every day with your Lord. To worship Him. It's, it's very practical. Anyways, when we look at the life of the Prophet wasallam. How do we see him approach this issue of Allah does everything? Look, look, me and you, we're not perfect Muslims. So if Allah decides to do things that, or He decides not to listen to us, we say, oh Allah, uh, you know, you are the one who decides affairs, so we're making dua that this happened. If He doesn't listen to us, it can make sense. It makes sense. The Prophet ﷺ, if all matters are just decided by Allah, and there's no point trying to live anything, do anything. What could he do? What could he do? 
I mean, he was receiving revelation. He could have just said, Oh Allah, should I go Taif? Is it going to work out? Tell me right now so I can save my, myself some, some energy. What's going to end up happening if I go? Tell me the future. Tell me how it's going to play out because you know already how it's going to play out. Is that what he did? Oh Allah, tell me what's going to happen in Taif. No, he went to Taif. He was pelted with stones. He bled. He went into battles. He suffered wounds. He went through life not relying on there's no point doing it, I'm just going to wait for Allah to do it. There's a fam famous hadith where the Prophet said that if you were to bring Iman and trust, or rather, if you trusted in Allah and had tawakkul in Him as you ought to have tawakkul, Allah would provide for you like He provides for birds. How many people heard this hadith? Allah will provide for you like He provides for birds. So you get some people who say, birds don't have jobs. Sounds good. I sign up for that one. The hadith says, They go out of their nests empty stomached. They don't sit in the nest and say, just waiting for it to come. Tawakkul. I'm just waiting for it to come to my nest. No, they don't do that. The hadith clearly says, they leave their nests in the morning, hungry. And when they come back at night, their stomach is full. Allah provides for them. Allah provides for them. But even the birds have to go out and make an effort. Even the birds have to go out and make an effort. And just as Allah provides for the birds, He'll provide for you. Just as He... If he provides for the bird who has no job, who has no degree, he'll provide for you too. Why do you not trust your Lord? Strive, but trust your Lord. And this is what it comes down to. This is the balance, and I'll summarize this issue right here. This is the balance the believer has to work with. With your body, you strive. You do everything that you can to plan and to take action. And in your heart, you know that at the end of the day, the results lie with Allah, and so you rest assured that He will do what is best. There's khayr in what He decides. That is, that is the approach of the believer. You take action, but your heart knows deep down that the outcome and the result is not up to me. It's not up to me. It's up to Allah. Because even if you try everything to get something, make something happen, does it always happen? It's, it's like when you get later on in life, when you get older, a lot of these realities set in. You just can't force yourself into the job you want. There's an interview process and you got to just do your best to prepare and go through the process. But whether or not you get accepted or, or, or you get the job, it's not up to you. Do you understand? But you can do everything from your side and still not get it. That shows it's not up to you. Somebody else controls the decisions. Do you understand what I'm saying? And so this is important. We take action, knowing that the results and the outcomes lie with Allah. And that He will not, He will not betray His, his, his servants. And that's where we trust. Okay, the second aspect, where Allah judges. Allah judges and decides, 
Not only what happens, he decides how one should live. Allah is al-Hakam, the one who chooses for humans how to live. And we as a society can probably understand this better than many societies in the past. Because really, we live in a society where it's a free-for-all. You get to choose the way of life. You are told to create your destiny. To create your future. Create who you want. Make yourself into whoever you want yourself to be. Both like identity, like on every level. On every level. I don't even need to expound on that point. Everyone gets that point. Allah revealed revelation to teach people what the best way to live is. It's like the manual of life, the manual. I have this life with me. How do I live? Should I eat like this or should I eat like that? Should I eat this or should I eat that? Should I behave like this or behave like that? Should I dress like this or dress like that? All of that is taught to us by our deen, and that's a huge blessing. It's a huge blessing, man. Because the paradox of choice, faced with every different choice, is so hard to decide. And so people have their phases where they experiment. How many people had like their emo stage? Let's be honest, y'all. Yeah? The emo stage? Or was that not a stage for some of y'all? That's just like, it's who I am. Did anybody go through like a skateboarding phase? Anybody go through like a gangster phase? Where like, the dude lives in the suburbs in like a huge house, but y'all from the hood, yo. You know? Do you know what I'm saying? From the hood. Do you get my point? Like human beings experiment with life. That's what people are, this all right now is a big experiment for a lot of people. And how many people, before starting to draw near to your deen, how many of us felt really lost? Like we just really didn't know, because there's just so many people. You're being pulled in so many different directions. Should I dress like that? Should I, should I get a haircut like that? Should I, should I talk like that? Should I behave like that? Should I go to these places? Should I go there? Who do you take as a role model? There's like every different type of person to take as a role model. With the internet now, you can, like, you can get into any community. And that's the interesting thing. Before, like think about it. Before, you were restricted to like what was happening in your city. So you just do whatever people in your city were doing. Now, you can have a person in the middle of an, an entire city of non-Muslims, and out of the blue, one dude's just Muslim. Popped up, he's Muslim. Like, how'd you become Muslim? Like, nobody around you Muslim. How'd you become Muslim? I was online watching some videos, and I was on Reddit, then I was debating in the comments. That's always how it goes, right? I was debating in the comments, trying to prove these Muslims wrong, and then they made some good points, and then I was like, oh snap, and then I started looking into it, and I'm Muslim. In the middle of a city of, that's the society we live in. Right? And you have parents who didn't realize this, so they'll come. Like, how did he become like this? Dude, he's sitting on the internet. There are communities for everybody. There's communities for everybody online. So you could literally become like anything or get into anything. Right? Isn't that possible? That's what happens. And Allah in the Quran says, I am pleased with 
Islam. Islam I've chosen Islam for you and I'm pleased with it as a way of life for you. It's for us, for our benefit. Allah does not benefit. It's for our benefit. How many of you have heard of Andrew Huberman? The Huberman Law? Anyone familiar with Huberman and his research? I mean, he's getting more and more popular, especially after the Joe Rogan show, but... Before that, even for a while, I've been listening to this guy. He's, he's interesting, neuroscientist from Stanford. He has recently, he caused some waves when he was talking about cannabis and the harms of cannabis. Because for a long time, there are people who really believe like it's not harmful. And then he comes along and he has like research to show. And all the Muslims are like, yep. Right? Like, we have our way of life. It is so sad that me and you, or rather you and I, we, we really rely on people who have no access to revelation to confirm revelation for us. May it not be so that sacred revelation needs confirmation by like random human beings. That should not be the case. If you understand what revelation is, and those of you who are studying theology with Sheikh Ammar, you probably are starting to understand revelation and its value. Its value and, and, and how much, how much we, we really need to trust revelation. Because of its infallibility, because of its all-encompassing nature, it knows everything. It's not a, you don't test out revelation, it's not a test and research and let's get a, a group together and like, you know, sample size. And, no, this is revelation coming from Milladun Hakim in Alim. The one who knows everything and who has all wisdom. And that's really what, like, you know, in philosophy, philosophy is the effort of discovering truth solely through the, through the intellect. Solely. Independent of revelation. I'm telling you, I've sat with people. These are, these are not students. These are the ones teaching students. They are producing academics. And when they teach ethics, when they come to the issue of objective morality, do you know what they say? I'm telling, I, verbatim, this, they come into class. They teach a whole thing about it. They come in. So a student puts their hand up and says, Professor, tell me then, so what is it? Is, do, is there a source of objective morality or not? Remember, this is not an, a student or an academic. This is the one who is training academics. What does he say? He says, I don't know, man. I really don't know how we can justify our morality. I said, subhanAllah. So how do you live your life? If you have no idea how to determine what's actually good and what's actually evil, you have no idea how do you live your life. Well, let me, let me tell you how you live your life. You just do whatever the heck people around you are doing. That's what you're going to end up doing. Because you can't think for yourself. You don't have your own independent source. So you'll just rely on everybody else. That's how we all grew up. That's how every one of us grew up. It doesn't matter how independent you think you are. Every one of us is a product of the society we're brought up in. And we need to start asking the question, what did we take from this society in terms of values and morals that maybe we shouldn't have? Allah is the one who decides and dictates to us how to live, and He doesn't do it arbitrarily. He does it in light of perfect knowledge for our khayr, for our goodness. So we have to study revelation. 
Study revelation to learn what's the best way to live. You know what the, you know, you know what the name Wijha means? Wijha means direction. It means direction. Because how many of us were lost? Or maybe still feel lost to a certain extent in life. Not really sure where to go. Everything we're doing here is to try to give people a sense of direction in which to go with your life. With what you're doing. That's what this is all about. And then how do you figure out which way to go? Revelation. Revelation will tell you. Revelation will tell you. The problem is how many of us have studied Revelation? Have studied the Qur'an or Hadith? If somebody tells you they're a doctor because every single week for 15 minutes they watched a YouTube video, do you trust them? No, you don't. You think they know their stuff. Taha, what do you think, man? You trust that dude? No. What's my point? Many of us, what do we know about deen? What's our study of deen? We show up for 15 minutes to the Jumu'ah talk, and we think we're going to learn deen, revelation, from a 15 minutes in the Jumu'ah khutbah. The delusion of our Muslim community to think that we can learn up. We will not accept people who have not studied 16 years. We do not accept them as experts, or even to know what they're talking about. 16 years of this, of this system. And when it comes to revelation, which is like the actual way to live, 15 minutes, if that, for the Jummah Khutbah, if the sisters can even hear it, if the mic's on for them, and, and the speaker's on for them in their area. No, let's be real. And then we wonder why, like, I don't know if I understand Islam. Yeah, 15 minutes is not going to cut it. Many of us left. Okay, what's the age most of us left studying, like, Quran classes? What's the age? Anyone study beyond 12? A few people? Anyone study beyond 14? A few people? Most people don't. How many people when they get into high school, that's it, right? I got too much homework. And they don't go back for Quran classes. Isn't that the age when all the questions start? And at that time, people leave Quran classes. And then we wonder why we don't understand how to live, and we, don't, we lack direction, and we don't really know what Allah wants from us. We as a community have to really wake up and realize we're not even cutting the bare minimum when it comes to Islamic knowledge. Understanding our way of life. Okay, the last thing I'm going to mention here, which is about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala being the judge on the day of judgment. The day of judgment and the hereafter, that's a complex day. It's a complex day. Why? Because people are going to be in all different states. Some people, as the hadith tells us, and the khutbah was today, at Dunbar at least. The khutbah was about the people who will be in the shade of the throne of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on the day of judgment. And so there will be people there, you know, who will be blessed by Allah to be protected from the sun. That will be so near, brought near to human beings. There's others, the hadith says, they'll be drowning in sweat according to their sins. Some people up to their ankles, some to their knees, some to their hips, some to their necks, be drowning in sweat because of worry about their sins, depending on how many sins they committed. And like you said earlier, some people will be running from one another on that day. The Qur'an has this ayah, right, in Surah Abasa. The day when a person will run from their brother. And, and mother and father will be running from each other and from their children. Running from his wife, running from his children. That's a complex day. 
All in all, the one thing we do know, it's a day of justice. The Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, in Surah Ghafir, He mentions, الْيَوْمَ تُجْزَى كُلُّ نَفْسٍ بِمَا كَسَبَتْ لَا ظُلْمَ الْيَوْمِ Today, everyone will get what they earned. They will be paid back according to what they did in this life. And then Allah makes a declaration in the Qur'an, لَا ظُلْمَ الْيَوْمِ There will be absolutely no oppression today. This is لَا لِنَفْيَ الْجِنْسِ لَا ظُلْمَ الْيَوْمِ no oppression at all today. The hadith of Sahih Muslim teaches us that on that day, that the rights will be given to everybody. And that's how Muslims understand justice. A person can pass away in this world. They will be, a person can be killed, oppressed, killed. Where is justice for that person? The one who does not believe in a hereafter, there's no possibility of justice. That person's dead. Even if you go and kill that person, that person did not get to kill him. Someone else had to kill him. So it's not equal. It's not equal. Because there's a certain pleasure in getting your revenge, unfortunately. Right? And so the one who was killed will want to be equal. They will want the right to be able to kill. But they can't. They're dead. That's one of the implications of atheism. Is that you cannot believe in true justice in this world. Because those who were killed in the concentration camps, where is justice for them? If you don't believe in a hereafter. That's an implication. The believers believe that in the hereafter there will be justice. For those who don't receive it in this world, they will receive it in that world. The hadith says, to the extent, that to the extent that if there was a sheep that didn't have any horns, and there was one that had horns, and the sheep with horns attacked that sheep that didn't have horns, on that day, Allah will give horns to the hornless sheep in order for it to take revenge. That's just with sheep, the hadith says. So what to say about human beings? And so there's great need for us to, to have hope in justice on that day, if not in this world. Someone's car's blocking someone's entrance real quick. Alright, sure. Uh, alaikum. Someone's, so there's two cars blocking the man's entrance to his home. Uh, he's wondering if someone can move them. It's a black Hyundai, uh, license plate AZYS728. And then uh, a silver Honda, I don't know what year, uh, CAEB867. He's waiting right now outside if anyone has those cars. Can you move it real quick? Okay. In the hadith, the Prophet وسلم, I mentioned this hadith and we'll wrap up. He mentions, and this is just to remind us that on the day of judgment, it's not just a day of punishment, it's a day of mercy as well. This hadith is so beautiful. This hadith is in, the, in one of the sahih, if not both. The Prophet says, On the day of judgment, Allah will bring close to him a believer. And Allah will put a veil over this person so that nobody can see the reckoning that's about to take place. And then Allah will begin to play the video of this person's life. And He'll say, He'll ask the, the believer, Do you recognize that sin? Do you recognize that sin? 
فيقول نعم أي ربي. He'll say, I can't deny it, O oh my Lord. It's right there. Can't deny it. Absolutely. حتى إذا قرره بذنوبه until Allah will have him admit all of his sins. ورأى في نفسه أنه هلك. The hadith says, this believer will feel that they're destroyed now. Allah has just showed me all my sins, every single one of them, and I couldn't even deny it. I couldn't even lie about it. What will Allah say? قال. Allah will say to him, سَتَرْتُهَا عَلَيْكَ فِي الدُّنْيَا وَأَنَا أَغْفِرُهَا لَكَ الْيَوْمِ In this dunya, I kept your sins hidden from everybody. And today, today I'll forgive them for you as well. I didn't keep them hidden in the dunya to expose them today. I'll keep them hidden today as well. That's also the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that the believer never loses hope in. How Allah, look at, Allah will veil this person so nobody else sees what's going on. May Allah make us amongst those who are not disgraced on that day. May He make us amongst those who receive His mercy. Ideally, we ask that Allah Ta'ala enter us, into, enter us into paradise and judge for us to enter without any reckoning. That's what we should ask. O oh Allah, Allahumma adkhilil jannata bi ghayri hisabin wa Without any reckoning, without any punishment, O oh Allah. Ameen, Ya Rabbil Alameen. May Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala grant us the understanding of this name and the ability to live with this name in our daily lives. Ameen, Ya Rabbil Alameen. Jazakumullahu khayran. I want to just ولكل وجهة هو موليها فاستبقوا الخيرات أينما تكونوا يأتي بكم الله جميعا إن الله على كل شيء قدير